Hello, welcome to this episode of Tech Lasso. This is Christopher Hong, and I'm recording from the Spotify Soundtrap Studio in Pod City. And I appreciate Soundtrap and Spotify for allowing us to use their location to record this episode. I am joined today by Alejandro Chavera. Hello, everybody. With Kip. Hello. And with Mark Schwantz. Hi, glad to be here. And today we're actually just doing a summary of all the episodes we've done and just talking and finishing out this 2022-2023 year. After this episode, we're going to take about a two-week break and we'll return July 5th with a brand new episode and more content for all y'all to enjoy. And so just to start this off, I just want to talk to the team and see what they thought about all the episodes we've had so far this semester or this school year. Well, I thought this was a, a kind of a neat adventure that we took uh, started this year doing these podcasts. I listened to them, uh, you know, podcasts in general, but uh, having to actually produce one and listen to what we're doing and what we're interested in just was really interesting to be able to get all these guests and hear them and be able to talk about educational issues that I, I cared about. And so I, I really enjoyed this little experiment that we did here. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Kip. And it was interesting being a part of the early stages with Chris when we were envisioning what the podcast might be and looking at what other educational technology podcasts are out there and how ours could be unique. And it was great to see as as we got started, just the, the genuine interest there was and the response there was from people who were listening and people who were asking if they might be able to be a guest. And I concur with everybody else. It's exciting to be a part of this. Listening to other people's podcasts now, you know, we're part of a podcast. So we're here talking about things that uh, affect us in education. So it's very relevant topics that we talk about that revolve around education. Yeah, I think the best thing about all this is the fact that it continues to evolve and just listening to the different guests that have come on, just listening to the different feedback we've gotten. Just so everyone knows, our team is a team of seven people and all seven of us, we're the only ones working on these episodes. We're the ones reaching out to people. We're reaching out to other individuals. We're the only ones editing. We are the hosts, the producers, and the editors. We don't have any other team doing this with us. So it's been a great experience because it also helps us learn about how to use the software. And when working with educators, working with teachers, we can give them feedback and ideas on how to do it themselves. And with that in mind, one of the big topics that came up this year was artificial intelligence. At the end of November, ChatGPT blew up, and since then, we've been on this roller coaster ride of a generative AI where almost everywhere in the ed tech sector, almost everywhere in the business sector, the talk is AI and where it's going. So what are your thoughts on it, guys, in terms of where you think AI is going? What can we, what can we or can't we do about it? The generative AI has, has blown up, as you said, and it's kind of overhyped and underhyped at the same time mm -hmm. because they overhype that you know everything everything's going to ai ai this ai that and so everyone's concerned about it at the same time we really need to think about how we can use it it's such a powerful tool that could be used in such great ways and of course there's always negative consequences and and how it could be used improperly but as a new tool it, it it's again something that can be adopted and be really utilized in the classroom and be a great educational tool not just in the classroom but for just uh, learning in general, how it can help productivity and improve our lives in so many different ways. It's a matter of taking a deliberative approach and thinking out the process of how we're going to incorporate this, how we're going to using this. And so that's why I'm glad we're having these discussions so people don't aren't just fearful of it and say, oh, no, here's another thing that's going to ruin the world. But rather, okay, let's, you know, it's coming. It's going to be here. Clearly, the commercial sector has adopted it uh, or embracing it. I shouldn't say adopting it. It's maybe not 100% adopted yet, but it's embracing it. So we know this is coming. So how do we as educators 
embrace it and utilize it in ways that really help our students. I agree with that. So it's definitely blown up. That's the talk of the town. AI, AI is everywhere. And even though they're talking about AI a lot in the media, I think there's still a lot of people who still do not understand it fully. So I think we should continue to talk about it, get the word out of what is AI and how we should use it. So once we start talking about more, then we can start thinking about talking about those concerns and maybe way to regulate the industry possibly to address those specific concerns. Yeah, I agree. We need to be a part of this in whatever we can to support good instructional practices that include AI and that help students make the decisions that they're going to need to make. They're going to have to make decisions about technology that we never had to make because of the power of the technologies that are now becoming available. So I think it's been great how we've been able to have different voices on the podcast, like Joe Marquez. And, you know, you couldn't get past his enthusiasm for seeing these models or whatever you want to call them, the practices that will give students an opportunity rather than just saying no and not not, not allowing it in the school. Yeah, and I think with Nancy Blair Black and Brandy Wright, the other thing they brought up, and I, I like the fact that Kip, you said it was overhyped. Only one program has been overhyped with the AI movement, has been ChatGPT. We don't talk about all the other ones where you said it's underhyped. We don't talk about all the other programs that are coming out, whether it's MidJourney for Art or whether it's EduAid.ai for Educators or any of the other programs. We're just focused solely on ChatGPT and what it can or can't do that we forget that that's just one program. It's I think a lot of people have been referencing it as the Kleenex of AI. As Kleenex is, you know, the facial tissue. We don't say facial tissue. We always say Kleenex. Same thing with AI. We don't say AI. We say ChatGPT. And I think the more we discuss this and the more we engage in it and the more we educate ourselves on this, the better because then we'll become more and more familiar with it. And I think before we got on this episode, Kip was actually sharing a story about cars and automobiles and how at one point in time, I remember growing up, I would sit in the back of the flatbed with a bunch of friends as my parents drove my car somewhere. We don't think about that now because the norm now is to make sure we're using it in the right way. We're being safe. We're, we're engaging in it in a proper way as opposed to just use it to use it. I don't know. Kip, could you yeah, elaborate? I, I, I think that's... The, the, the thought process really is about the fact that we can't anticipate every safety factor and put all the guardrails in before we begin using it. The story of the, of the cars came about the opening session for the day in AI that MIT, the MIT Rays Foundation did. It's the idea that cars, when they were first invented, as people adopted them, they just used them before they had stoplights, before they were rules, before there were laws. And even in college, I remember we used to pack everyone into a tiny little car I think our record was eight people inside a tiny Toyota Corolla because we needed to get somewhere. And so as long as you could physically get a body into a car, we did, and right. we drove. And that was, I wouldn't say that's the norm, but that was acceptable. But again, as Chris mentioned, it, it's no longer acceptable. We wouldn't even think of having a person in the car. We even consider, wait, they don't have a seatbelt. It's got five seatbelts. I've got six people. Do I really want to risk it and put it in? We don't think that. We don't, at least I don't, whenever I think of an extra person, I say, no, we're going to have to drive two cars. And so that, so safety evolves and changes as we see the need. And I think open, uh, open AI and all, all the other AI initiatives are the same way. We look at the possibilities of what we can do with it. And as we 
work on it, as we're improving it, we realize, oh, yeah, we should put these safety regulations in place. And then we do. And that's how I think all technology works. Yes, there are things we need to be concerned about, but I think it evolves and it changes. And security improves over time, and we constantly change. And uh, yeah, that's what I just really wanted to share, that it's not a static thing that we put and make sure it's 100% safe before we use it. What was 100% safe you know, 10 years ago is not the same today. Yeah, speaking of one of the more recent safety issue is social media. And we were fortunate enough to interview a micro-influencer, Pamela Price, and she shared with us her thoughts on social media. At the same time with her, we had a discussion with a parent as well on social media, and Montana recently banned TikTok. And so just thinking about that and thinking about social media and safety, how do we make it safe? How do we engage in a way where, as a parent myself, I think banning something is not the responsible thing to do. And the reason why I don't think it's a responsible thing to do is because I'm not educating my child on how to use it appropriately. I'm just saying you can't use it. And any parent here knows the moment you tell someone, no, you can't do it, or the moment you tell your kid, no, you can't do it, likelihood of them doing it increases significantly. So what are your thoughts on social media, banning it, or how do you engage and use it safely? I agree with you, Chris. Uh, I don't think it should be banned at all. So yes, even in recent news, the U.S. Surgeon General has issued an advisory that social media may be harmful to the mental health of young people. So I think people should take that not, hey, let's ban all social media. I think that's a call for us to help educate more of the students on social media. So by um, talking to students, by educating students on digital citizenship, the use of social media, you know, we let them know the harmful effects and what to watch out for. So I think that's the key. It's not banning social media. It's educating our students on digital citizenship. I agree. We need to use the discussion about safety and our wellness to encourage students, our, even our own kids, to make decisions for their own benefit and not just to consume technology or technology uh, apps or devices mindlessly and really build a community in that conversation between us. And I think if you use social media appropriately, it can be good for you. It can be beneficial for you. It's just the algorithm. If anything, the one thing I would change and I think should be changed is the algorithm. And I think it needs to be changed where it shouldn't just be based on what you like or what you're reading, but like make it well balanced so that way you get multiple viewpoints. Our algorithm is designed and geared towards us as individuals like great technology made our education made everything individualized but then i'm now stuck in an echo chamber i'm not getting information from elsewhere nancy from ISI shared with us she talked to a bunch of students that were lgbtq and said hey how come the you know the older generation doesn't like us why do you think why do they hate us when all they have to do is research us and they'll learn hey we're human beings just like everyone else and that's when nancy informed them what you see is not what they see. Mm -hmm. When they put in a Google search, they're not getting the same results as you. And I think that's a big thing. And for me, I think that's the one thing I would change when it comes to technology is the algorithm. That's what's keeping us in this echo chamber. And it's not encouraging dialogue in a way I feel like technology should be encouraging dialogue. I think that's one of that, back to that, um, the evolution of security and safety in social media. I remember when social media first blew up, people were excited about it because we were connecting with 
people that we hadn't seen forever. We were finding all sorts of things. I used to love YouTube. I mean, I still love YouTube, but when YouTube first came out, I loved it because it would show me these random things that I've never been seen before. And that was just wonderful. Now, when I go to uh, YouTube, it only shows me things I've seen before or very similar things that I've seen before. And I think that algorithm has altered to where, you know, it wants me to look at things that I've seen or things I want to see again, even though I'm one of those people who want to see diversity. And I don't get that because there isn't a checkbox I can. And so that's the evolution of it. And I think that evolution of how algorithms and how social media has played out seems to have done some harm to people. I think, I think that evidence is, I don't know, if, I don't want to say conclusive, but it does seem like social media definitely uh, uh, contributes to a lot of the anxiety, depression, and um, uh, uh, different uh, things that our young people are experiencing today. And so now that we realize that, I think we rightfully should put some uh, uh, rules and regulations on it. That's the way we have to look at it. Unfortunately, we, won't, we didn't know that was a consequence when it first came out, and so we couldn't even anticipate rules. And that goes back to the whole AI thing, is we don't know what's going to happen, and so we need to figure out, educate ourselves, work on it, and then hopefully we can determine how to best regulate or manage it versus just outright banning it or fear-mongering or whatnot. With that in mind, too, as we continue down this conversation and just think about past episodes, you brought up a good point, and I think it's talking about the literacy, the media literacy. How do we work on the media literacy? We interviewed Sue Thoughts. She talked about media literacy and how it's important for us to understand what we're reading and where it's coming from or what we're watching on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Why is that so important? Why do you guys think that's important, or why do you think it's not important? Well, part of the reason it's important that we have a mindfulness about what we're consuming is because we are modeling those behaviors for uh, the next generation, whether that be students or other young people or our own children, that, that they can see a model in us of a way to interact with social media, maybe other technology, maybe AI, and, and still retain that part of us that makes us human and that is relatable and that our students, for example, our students or our children can see us put our devices down and have a face-to-face conversation without a distraction, that, that, that they can have that sense of being listened to and, and cared for. That's really important. And, and you bring up this, this thing about identity. And again, somehow all these, this conversation is just leading in really well with all these topics. Because the area conversation we had was on identity. So just out loud, just think about, Kip, how do you identify yourself? <laughs> I, I guess I'm laughing because it, in, in many ways, when you ask that question, it, it has changed. Because uh, I guess just a, just a few years ago, if you asked me, how do you identify yourself? You know, the thing I think of is uh, I'm an Asian male immigrant family, uh, growing up with sort of in America, uh, always an outsider yearning to be part of the American culture, American dream, which is, you know, still really how I identify, but it just, I, I giggle because when you ask the word identity, because that word has been in the news so much, we naturally go to, oh, what are the pronouns? What is my uh, gender expression and things like that, which become, has come into the forefront. But identity includes all that. It's how we view ourselves. And I guess I've always grown up thinking, you know, you know, know yourself. That's really important. Know who you are. Know how you fit in in this world. And try not to be 
swayed by what the world says you should be. And that was always obviously a tough thing for every kid growing up. You know, how do you fit in? How do you stand out? Yeah, so identity, uh, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> so well, sorry about that. I think you're making a great point, Kip, and it's maybe saying what I was going to say about that. And that is that when I think about my identity, I want to think about what other people think of me. Do they have me in a good regard? Would, would they call me a friend? Or would they say that I'm trustworthy? So I think about kind of the qualities that make me dependable or hardworking or, you know, those kinds of things that, is, in other words, is your identity what you think it is or is it what other people say it is? It's more philosophical on us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, well, I mean, that, that actually really ties into this whole social media aspect, right? I had, well, my, teenager, my teenagers are getting out of their teenage years. My last baby... Uh, is is actually he's no longer a teenager. He's not a teenager. Oh wow, he's twenty. He's twenty. He's oh. going to be twenty one. So, uh, but going through three kids who went through those years in social media, <laughs> in the realm of social media, it was difficult trying to talk to them, raise them with a an, a, a self identity of who they are, and projecting who they want to be from what's in their heart. As opposed to what Mark, what you were saying is that always being concerned about what other people think of them, and when they see the social media and they see how everyone is displaying themselves, they think they need to be like that. And even though they know a lot of the social media is, you know, how do you say it? I don't want to use the word fake. That's not that's too strong a word. But clearly uh, staged. There you go. To to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, intellectually they knew that. But yet, they have to portray that back on social media for other people to consume. So it was a real hard struggle dealing with their identity. Um, even though I felt the same things growing up as them, it, it's so much in their face right now that it, it was, it's so much harder than when I was growing up. Identity is very important in social media, and it's part of the digital citizenship. So we got to let our students and kids know that, hey, uh, what is your identity? How do you want other people to know you as? And so you got to be careful when you're using social media, you're posting stuff, pictures, images, or whatever you say in social media, that reflects on you. So young people or people in general have to think about before they post anything on social media, think about their identity. How do they want to portray themselves to others? So yes, they got to know who they are themselves and also how they portray themselves to others. So definitely identity is important, especially when we're using, when we're using it to discuss in digital citizenship. I think this kind of goes back to what Kip was saying, though. That sounds so staged to me because now we're more worried about your brand. Because when you're saying how you want to portray yourself, I think of that as branding. How do I want to brand myself? So when people see me on social media, this is how they see me as opposed to just being authentic and being yourself. Now we're getting our kids trapped in that little circle of, hey, if you're going to post on social media, make sure it's reflecting you as a good person and -hmm. showing the good stuff. And that's, I think, going back to what Kip was saying earlier, is like maybe there's a high correlation between mental health and what they see on online. So do we really yeah. want them to do this? Or right. do we want them to engage in it in a in a good way without being fake? I, I think that's a discussion that we really need to have with everyone. Because, again, being older, I remember when social media first came in and people were posting random stuff, right? 
all their college days, all the things that you would be so embarrassed for people to see. Kids thought it's the coolest thing. Let's post it, and so and of course, internet never forgets. So yep. there yep. was a generation a few years back where we were concerned that because any new job employer, new employer could pull up your college, you know, antics and say, "Hey, you're not really a good fit for our company." So we were te- telling kids, "Hey, beware what you post." And now, as you said, Chris, it's now it's all staged, and they're kind of creating these personas. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 really kind of messed up. <laughs> it's evolved again. Yeah, well, well, to me, also to knowing your identity, and you know, we're, I'm I don't see it as hey, we're trying to mold somebody to something they're not. I just think you know, not everything is good. There's some things that other people think, hey, that's not good. But if that person is comfortable saying those things that other people think that is not good, if they're comfortable, that's fine. Just as long as they know, hey, what they're saying, they understand how other people are taking it, and. Understand that, hey, there might be upsetting other people or it might come back to haunt them in the future. So if they're okay with that, you know, that's their identity. They're comfortable doing that. But if they're not and they say something and later on it comes to haunt them, then, hey, they better think about more of what their true identity is. Otherwise, you know, down the line, they might be seen as or get in trouble with something that they post and then they're stuck with that. Yeah, like all the the NFL players or basketball players or collegiate players were, you know, maybe 10 years ago when they were young. I mean, most college players are, what, 20-ish? And we forget that. And they were teens when social media popped out, so 12, 13, 14. I can't think of the number of times I've read about a player losing their scholarship because they used the N-word. And like you said, the internet never forgets, and those come back up. It haunts them. For me... When I think identity, I think of I am a dad, I am a technology trainer, I am a, a teacher, I am uh, a good human being, and I focus on doing these, and I want to make sure this happens. I think the one thing we don't think about, and that came up in one of the podcast episodes, was this concept of STEM identity. Kip, you were a chemistry teacher. And so when you think about your history, did you always think that you were someone in the STEM field? Yes. I'm one of those weird people that I think I identified it to fourth grade when I was introduced to like a real science class. I loved it so much. I always loved the sciences. Um, and therefore, that was my career path and where I wanted to do. Um, but I, I recognize most people don't do that. They, they flail around trying to figure out what they want to do. As a matter of fact, I know most people don't like the sciences. I tried to convince my son to join uh, STEM. He was actually very good in, in chemistry as well. But he just didn't care for the sciences, so he went to the, the, those liberal arts fields. But um, what's wrong with the liberal <laughs> arts field? I got a credential. Well, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. After college, or during college, I really thought about whether I made the right choice in going STEM. Uh, not just STEM. I went to a technical school, to a very science-oriented technical school, and and think looking back, think you know what? I probably would have enjoyed a liberal arts college. Um, the, the the analytics, the the the, th- the thought process behind it is very different, and and I found those kind of classes actually was much more interesting to me. I, I was a philosophy minor. Those were actually really? much more challenging uh, in in my mind for my thought process than the chemistry classes for intellectual stimulation, I mean. And so I think I could have enjoyed and would have enjoyed a liberal arts uh, degree as well. Probably wouldn't have been able to get as many jobs, but that's another story. It's never too late. Never too late. <laughs> and then, Mark, did you ever think of yourself as a STEM person growing up? I, 
I, yes and no. Okay, let me give let me qualify that. From the earliest day, I was always given opportunity to make things. We always had my father always had a shop in the house or you know in the basement or in the garage, and I spent countless hours with trains and all kinds of electronic stuff. And I I never made the connection until later on after I had been a teacher that my interest in electronics and and software was related to always being able to be a part of making things and creating things. So, And you, Alejandro? Um, yeah, I, I always loved growing up. I always lo loved science, especially earth science. I always um, liked talking about volcanoes, the weather. So I gravitated to that. But yeah, unfortunately, I was not that great in math. So I struggled a little bit with that. But still, I still love the sciences. And, you know, definitely, we definitely need more young people interested in sciences, especially females. Recently, this weekend, actually, I went to a graduation. Nephew graduated um, mechanical engineering, and I saw all the graduates. And, yeah, there was a lot of up-and-coming, a lot of engineers, civil engineers, uh, different types of engineers. And I did see start seeing more females. So I think we definitely need to promote that and the STEMs. But... Yeah, I, I love the, the sciences, even though my career didn't go to STEM so much. Kind of just going back on that, I kind of wish Laura and Kathy were here, so then we could get a female perspective and see where they, what they believed if they thought they were a STEM, like a STEM person from the beginning, because I know talking to Ella about this topic, she was like, if we tell kids and work with kids and help kids just believe that they are a STEM person, that they are scientists, that they're a technologist, engineer, mathematician, then they're more likely to become one, right? Especially with our younger ones. The more we talk to them about it at a young age and encourage and foster it, the better. Like Mark and Kip, both of you guys had like great people helping out. Like you were a great science class for Kip. And then for Mark, a dad who had all this stuff out there that helped him engage. And then from there, you guys are now in the STEM field, whether or not you realize it. I know you say, you know, Alejandro, you say you aren't, but you are. Because we're in the technology aspect of it, and we're training, and we're working with educators on it. And so I kind of really do Can wish I, Kathy was here and Laura was here. I want to add to that, because yeah. this, this is one of those realizations that I had. It was after a time that I had kind of set up my own wood shop. And I was doing some things, and I was trying to explain to my sons how to do it. And it's that point that I realized that no one ever taught me, but I just saw it so many times. Because that's how I would spend time with my father. Yeah. But then I realized at that point, too, what a privilege. And I would, I would wish that others could have that kind of experience where, you know, you learn something like a special trade or a special hobby or, or whatnot that uh, you just kind of picked it up because yeah. you were around it. Yeah. And kind of just going off another topic, just listening to you all talk, esports. Esports has been blowing up across the U.S. I think it blew up even more because of the pandemic. And we brought Donna Walters on. She talked about esports at the college level, how we could do it at the high school level, elementary level. Esports is still a very unique field. It's a relatively new field. What are your thoughts on it? Like, where where you guys stand with esports? Is it something you're interested in, or is it one of those things like I can live without? For me, I think I still need to learn more about it. So I'm not there yet with esports, but I know all the young people are into it. And there are definitely some positives to that. But I think there are a lot of people just like me that still need to understand it a little bit more, especially educators as well. 
they need to understand how that fits into education. So if we have, we talk about esports more, and especially how it relates in education, I think people will then see, hey, this is something positive. Definitely, we could use it for engagement, engagement of uh, with students in education. But not only that, career-wise, career exploration. There are a lot of things related uh, to gaming, especially STEM careers. So definitely, we need to talk about that more. It took me a long while to get into esports. I mean, get in as in understand it and like it. Uh, when I first heard about it, when I first uh, came out, uh, or first I don't, I came out too early, too, too strong of a word because I don't know when it came out. But when I first heard about it, I always wondered like, why, why, why would you promote playing video games, and why would people pay to watch people play video games? I mean, I I grew up. In that generation where, you know, uh, you get tossed outside on the weekends or after school and you're on your own until, you know, dinner time. And you, as long as you got back by dinner time, parents didn't really care what you did. So I grew up outside playing pickup games. And, and so obviously from my generation and what you hear a lot from the older generation is, why don't you go outside and play? And so some of that still is like ingrained in me. But I enjoyed sports. I wasn't a jock. I wasn't great at it, you know. Didn't make too many varsity teams, but I enjoyed playing. But... I think what got me thinking more about it and into it more was when um, I forget what I, some interview I was watching, but it's just basic concepts. When you think about it, like I love watching football, right? Mm -hmm. It's a great sport. I love playing it too. But then, you know, why are you watching football on Sundays? Because, you know, that, that's other people just playing a game and you're watching it and you're paying big bucks to it. And so esports is when, when I could visualize esports like that. Then I understood it a little bit more. And then nowadays with platforms like Twitch, where mm -hmm. the people are actually getting paid just to play a video game, it blows my mind. But I recognize that's where this generation of kids are. And it includes so many more kids than the pickup games that I used to participate in. Because there were so many kids. You know, I, I said I was not great at sports, but I liked it and I enjoyed it. And I was good enough to get into pickup games. But I know there was a tremendous number of kids who were never picked for teams, who never participated. And now that they have a, an avenue to do something that they enjoy, that they can do well in, and, and other people appreciate that, that is something worth it. You know, again, I don't see how it fits in yet perfectly with our curriculum in our educational system, but I see the value in, in having a program like that. Yeah, I agree. That's kind of where I was thinking also, Kip, that the opportunity for so many to get involved, to work on a team, and it's definitely a leadership opportunity. It was great to hear from Donna Basic Tack Walters about how, you know, she's working with so many who are finding a way to support, to train, to put these events on, and prepare students for careers that we didn't many of us didn't even know existed. That is, that is really amazing. And then I was thinking also about Alan Satomer and how he was sharing that there are so many opportunities for engaging young people in learning through esports that I hadn't even considered. If, there, it's, if, it is in, if it is so engaging and you need the students to be engaged, why not make, make the most of it? And, and really get them involved. Yeah, you know? I, I think my only concern with that is 
is it gamification or edutainment, I guess, or game, you know, and that's where my big concern is when it comes to esports itself. How are we using it? Like, I think esports, like, you know, ChatGPT is the Kleenex version. I feel like esports is the way everyone in education right now tends to justify not video game playing, but gaming as part of education. It becomes more gamified as opposed to, you know, uh, gamified and edutainment as opposed to just how are we actually teaching kids with this? Right. And the best way I can think of it is like Kahoot. I think yeah. a lot of people will say Kahoot is part of the esports because kids are competing, they're spectating, they're playing with each other. Yep. That's my impression of it. And so that's my biggest concern with esports. Like I'm big advocate mm-hmm. for esports. I was an esports gamer. I did play a lot growing up. I, I think I've told my colleagues I, I was one win away from going to South Korea for an international tournament. And I've seen all the great things it can do. But at the same time, I feel like in education, we like to generalize things a lot and try to find an umbrella for it to fit when maybe it needs to be its own umbrella and not a new umbrella or stuff under it. And that's my big concern with esports. How are we using it? Right. And another concern that's high on the list, at least my list, is the influence of corporate money in sponsorship in esports. And... You know, it's it's a billion, billions, multiple billions. But that's dollars. no different than all the, the corporate money going into schools. With, right. We have all the Google schools. We have the Apple schools. We have the Microsoft schools. All that money is going in there. Right. And if you want to add more to it, you could add Canva to it because I don't think a lot of people are aware. Canva is free for, educate, for students and educators and things like that. But my big picture and the way I always see it is we all grew up, I'm going to say I'm fairly calm, we all grew up with like a Microsoft Office type of program growing up. We all... We grew up with Apple IIEs. Apple IIEs, sorry. <laughs> I grew up learning how to... Pre-DOS, mar- man. I learned how to use Microsoft programs. Basic. And I became very dependent on it. So once I graduated high school, I was willing to shell out the money to buy office products because that's what I was taught to use. Yeah. And so if we're looking at our generation right now of all these kids coming up. They're all Google kids. Yep. And they're learning how to use Google software. I mean, it's it's corporate money against. They know what they're putting their money into yeah. and how they're using it. Right. But but you have to at least hear what I'm saying. With esports, it's a different paradigm because there's monetization embedded in on these different platforms. But a good example is what Microsoft has done. They're taking Minecraft and making an education edition so that when you use that education edition, it it has basic firewalls built into mm-hmm. it. It has student privacy. It doesn't have any ads, and so on and so on. So yeah, and I think for me, my counter to that is like I love that they do that, but Microsoft is also monetizing it because not any school can get access to Microsoft Education. You have to pay for those licenses. Right. And so if they were being truly altruistic and they want to focus on building those kids up and helping them learn coding, then why not make it free for all schools? Right. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah. you know, esports is a very interesting topic and there's a lot of different routes we can go with this. I think at the end of the day, though, kind of going back with what Kip said, it's, we just, we don't know where this is all going. We really don't. In 10 years, five years from now, everything's gonna probably going to change again careers will change i think just growing up there weren't a lot of majors growing up and i'm pretty sure just based on the conversations i've had with y'all there weren't that like i'm pretty sure i had more majors than what you guys had 
and even now, there's probably even more majors for all our students out there. Oh, you mean college majors? College majors, yeah. yes. Com- computer science was not a major where I went to school. It, it was just called electrical engineering. Yeah. So really, and look at that now. And computer science now they have what like five sub majors out of it, most likely at some universities. Yep. So I think that's the thing is I think with esports we just have to get comfortable with not knowing some of the stuff and just understand it's you know when you think of esports I think the biggest issue is people think video games more than anything but if you I remove the e and I just says sports you automatically think basketball football soccer all that stuff that that's what I think of it I mean I think it sounds like esports encompasses a lot more when I when you I heard esports I just think the competitive team like, just like football baseball like etc yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know whatever game it is it's it was a, more of a competitive after school thing so that's where i i like the idea like Mark was saying about teamwork and building uh that kind of community um but yeah but it can encompass a lot more of what people are doing and school spirit we didn't even mention that you know? oh yeah like i think downey unified they recently hosted their their valorant tournament I've never seen cheerleaders <laughs> cheering for their students. I've never seen a band come in and just cheer and root for their teams. And like you could see, it's a huge production. And I think kind of going off of what Kid was saying, like NFL, like, yes, I watch the NFL. I love it. I love NBA. I watch a lot of sports and I'm paying like money to watch these sports. And it's no different for our kids nowadays. I think the difference though is our kids can probably watch a lot of this for free on their streaming devices, on the internet, or on a friend's thing, and they don't have to pay, like, you know, NFL fees for the red zone or things like that, where they might not get those channels. And I think it might just be one of those, I can easily access it. Right. Right. Well, there hasn't, the leagues haven't matured enough to have a Super Bowl of esports yet. I'm sure it's coming, but... Uh... Mm-hmm. Well, you know, here's another aspect of it. I don't think this has been mentioned, and that is just the different levels of expertise and and i see some young people that are so good at at that technical whatever game it is and i go i i go i can't do that i can't even i can't even get close i know how difficult it is but they've they've well they practiced and they've they put themselves into it and then you get a competition and you get to see them like perform just like you would in a basketball game. I agree with what you said, uh, Mark. So it does definitely take skill. And going back to Chris, where is how we're using it, how we're using esports, like regular sports, right? They don't just play sports. They learn skills. They learn focus. So same thing with esports. They're learning uh, critical thinking skills. They're learning how to focus. And there's other things to come to it. So we're not just doing esports just to play games. There should be more of how we're teaching our kids how to uh, use those skills and transfer them over to other things that they do. So there's much more than just playing games in esports. Yeah, I know there's broadcasting, there's what's it got event planning, management, all that stuff, all behind the scenes stuff that all sports have. Just because you're not playing and you're not on the field doesn't mean there isn't a career for you. And I think that's one of the things I do enjoy. And I've seen. For me, with esports, I've seen it help people who are socially awkward or socially intimidated or not even them or people who aren't as comfortable with traditional sports or maybe they can't do traditional sports due to a disability may have. I feel like esports, that there is a great equalizer. It allows students to have some sort of access and engage. And kind of going back to 
the thing that you were talking about with Minecraft earlier, Mark, is I feel like we interviewed several different individuals. I can't recall all their name and I do about coding and how important coding is in today's age. Kip, you said there was only computer science wasn't even a major when you were growing up and now, or when you were in, at the college level and now you're looking at it. How much has coding evolved since you were last in college and same with you, Scott and Alejandro, or not Scott, sorry, Mark and Alejandro? Well, I think the, the bigger dif difference from my view, I, when, when, I, when I was in elementary, um, middle school, high school days, the coding was, you know, text-based, obviously. We were using terminals. They didn't have PCs back then. And to coding now, uh, obviously the languages like C and Unix machines and stuff like that hasn't changed all that much. It feels so, really similar. But the block-based coding uh, that has evolved is really, really different. Um, it made it much, much more accessible. Um, I'm a proponent of coding for everyone simply because it, it's a, to me, it's very, well, it's logical. <laughs> it's, a, it's very rational. I'm a very rational person. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think teaching coding, not so much the particular language, I think it's, it's about routines and subroutines. How do you create and having people do if-then statements? Um, I think that's the value in it and in, in reaching a logical conclusion based on input. And so that's why I'm a huge fan of it. But I like the coding in terms of the choices and the different languages. You know, back then it was basic, you know, um, and that's really all there was, or C. <laughs> um, so, yeah. For me, yeah. coding, when I was growing up, I thought, oh, that was for the nerds, for the computer nerds, mathematician. But now that I see more use of coding in the classroom where kids are using, for example, Scratch or other programs, I see that there's more creativity and self-expression. So you have kids that are bringing their ideas to life. So they're scratch. I saw a lot of kids creating a nice, actually, game or a present, using it as a presentation to where they're putting what they learned into creating a program that shows off the concepts that they learned. I think coding is definitely important. It's not just for just nerds anymore. It's for anybody. It's for to spark creativity. And hopefully we continue to to uh, use coding in education. It's about that creativity that you mentioned um, that I really liked about it. When I first started coding, uh, you know, it was, a, it was an extra whatever fun class you can take. But when I saw the power of what you could do, I applied it to things I liked doing and created programs around those ideas. And and I think that's was what's so different than regular classroom where you're fed all this content that you got to know. Mm -hmm. uh, coding allowed me to really go, oh, wow. Okay, I'm dating myself and expressing my nerdiness. I was a huge Dungeons & Dragons uh, fan. I, mm. I play in Dungeons & Dragons every week. You're okay. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah I'm second edition guy, though. I, <laughs> I, I can't get my, wrap my head around the fifth edition rules yet. I'm on fifth edition homebrew. <laughs> yeah, that's, def that's definitely nerdy. <laughs> yeah, but back in those days, I... Uh, uh, we wrote programs on generating characters, you know, because it takes forever to roll your dice and generate characters. So we wrote it and, and, and automated the process. Um, but that was fun and exciting because I love Dungeons and & Dragons and coding was fun. So I blended them together and, and learned and made and learned myself to do it. Um, and I think that's the value of coding, really going into areas where kids have real interest, right. not the coding itself, right. but all the topics that they have. Yeah. Well, I was fortunate enough when I was in the classroom a few years back, my district, I was in Linwood, just here in South LA, we had an, a little initiative where we had robots and, and iPads. 
in in the lower grades. So picture me with 28 TK students armed with iPads and robots. And what are we going to do? A lot of coding. And it was just, it was incredible to see the students engaged in that. And I, I've always wanted my students to be engaged in making things, not just sitting in front of a computer answering questions, you know, taking quizzes or watching videos or something like that. And I think as technology becomes more and more affordable, I think we're going to see it more often in a classroom because I, I think the best example I have, 3D printers. When those first came out, I know many different schools that bought it because it was a thing. We were going to teach the kids how to make it. It was instant gratification for students because they could create something. But 3D printers were not very affordable. I think, what, 2000 probably at the time, not including the filament or the resin, whatever it was at that time. And so I think as it becomes cheaper, more affordable, I think we'll see more students engage in coding and then building. And I think coding is, for me, I, I think it's important for everyone to get involved in coding because it's critical thinking. And I think the best way to put it is you're learning another language that's applicable across all fields. Because if you can develop what Kit was saying is that critical thinking, that rational thinking, it helps make math easier. It helps make English easier. It helps make argument argumentative argumentative essays and writing easier because you have a flow, a thought process now, and it helps just simplify life. And if you get, get into coding, just know from my experience and from what I've seen, it does get a lot easier because you start to pick up on the nuances, the tips and tricks. And I think even now you, we were talking about block-based coding. There's another version of coding called bubble coding, which is from my understanding, even easier, not easier, but a lot different. And simpler for people to pick up yeah right and there's uh there's also the, the development of natural language yep coding yes. natural language uh, where yeah. you can just tell what you want to do and it'll and give you some generative <laughs> generative ai can help with that and that's why i think coding generative ai and all stuff so exciting uh, mark alluded to to a, a, something earlier about um how you know, computers can be used in the classroom. And this is one of my, uh, I think, concerns about as computers uh, come into the, or actually they're in the classroom already. I, I started teaching back in the day when they weren't computers in the classroom. And so there was a big debate about bringing computers on and how to use them. And I always saw there was two tracks of using uh, technology in the classroom, computers and stuff. And one track was uh, the what we're talking about here right now. How do you create? How do you build? How do you take what students are interested in and, and, and build upon that and enhance the teaching and instruction that goes on in the classroom? And the other side of or other path of, uh, of instruction, of computer instruction, is computer-aided instruction, where you set the friend, kid in front of the computer, and the computer asks questions, and they follow these uh, instructions and do things on the computer, and the computer can guide learning that way, knowing the ability of the student, right. they'll automatically change the questions and make sure the students always experience success and make it harder and harder, which has a place and value in the classroom. But I just feel sometimes that we go too much that route. Too many classrooms, uh, too many uh, schools utilize that form of computer instruction rather than the first one that I talked about right. where you're using it to create and generate and, and develop new things as opposed to just kind of following a, a plan to learn a content area yeah good and to kind of piggyback on that do you feel technology is overused in education i view the first path of 
generating content as the important one. I think it's underutilized for that aspect of really bringing computers, again, when I was teaching, we were lucky to have one computer in the classroom, but I created activities where kids wanted to go on there and do stuff and create new things so that they weren't just you know, doing the traditional work. As more and more computers came in the classroom, it seems more and more now web-based stuff. Now you don't even have to buy programs. You just sit in front of the kids in front of the computer screen, go to a website and answer questions and do the fun activity that's on the screen. I think that's overly utilized, and the creation aspect is underutilized. A lot of the new or new computer-aided instruction stuff that I talk about just reminds me of so much when I was, in, like, I think, a second or third grade, whatever it was, when we would finish things early. And um, I was lucky one of those kids who finished his worksheets quickly. And so I was given the, they were called SRA kits. I don't remember what SRA stood for. But there were these specialized boxes mm -hmm. that uh, when you finished your work early, you get the privilege of going and working on these boxes. And boxes were boxes of basically... Uh, cue cards, they were self-paced questions, and then you can go and answer these questions, and if you finish this box, you can go on to another box, and you can record how many boxes you created. Um, and that was, a, it was supplemental. It wasn't like every kid had to do it, mm -hmm. but if you finished early, you could do those. And that's how I feel. It's like, it's, it's okay, I guess, but it really doesn't challenge the students. It really doesn't bring anything new to it. Um, and I'd like to see the technology utilized in a different way. To me, I see technology as tools. So uh, like you mentioned, Chris, there's always going to be new technology coming up. So in 10 years, five years from now, there's going to be new things popping up. So we should have all these different technology options to use as tools. And I'm kind of thinking of the design uh, thinking model where in order to solve a problem, right, you go through a process and going through the process, you're thinking, okay, what are some of these tools I could use to solve a problem? So the more technology tools that we have, the more options we have. And you, we asked you, actually, Chris, you had mentioned that which one you prefer, and you said pencil and paper. If that will help you for uh, to get you to a means, then that's the technology you use. So the more options we have, the more uh, tools we have to use to solve a specific problem. Yeah, that's where I land to, I think, is that the uh, technology tools that we have, uh, that we, we encourage, that we promote, that teachers love to use, uh, they should encourage the creativity and the uh, collaboration, you know, all those, all those uh, Cs, and that we should, in fact, discourage the inhuman uh, sitting in front of a screen just to answer questions. Uh, now, there's, I think you had already mentioned this, Kip, there's a value in certain kinds of learning, uh, being reflective, maybe simply reading, is there's a value in that. But uh, if, you know, we're just sending students to interact with that device, that's not, not going to be the best for their learning. Yeah, and I stand on that. I feel like it's both overused and underused. And it's overused in that I feel, based on feedback I've heard, based on conversations I've had with a lot of educators and parents, some educators use it as a replacement for teaching when it shouldn't be a replacement for teaching. It's a supplemental tool to support with teaching. And I think the other aspect is, like Kip was saying, we underutilize the parts that help make it engaging, make it supportive, and help students become critical thinkers. Just putting a kid in front of a computer does not mean they're learning. Just like everyone who's been afraid or concerned about ChatGPT or generative AI replacing teachers, I wholeheartedly 
believe that it will never replace a teacher because at the end of the day, the human relationship, the contact, the relationship building is what students learn more about than anything. Because as listeners, as you're listening to this, when you think about your schooling, going from, we'll say, kindergarten to 12th grade, odds are your best memories of education wasn't the fact that you learned something, but was the fact that you had a great relationship with a certain teacher who made you feel like a great human being that built you up and made you feel like you could do anything in the world. As Alejandro alluded, my favorite piece of technology is the paper and pencil. And the reason why this is, is for me, I am very tactile. I learn better when I write things down. I learn better when I do stuff with my hands. So if you ever see me in public or if you see me like speaking in front of people and presenting, I usually have something in my hand, whether it's a piece of tape or a pencil or any of that, because it's how I learn and how I process my thoughts. Paper and pencil are my favorite pieces of technology because it helps solve a problem for me. And that problem is how do I recall and remember stuff? Alejandro, Kip, and Mark, what are your favorite, what is your favorite technology tool? For me, I like video. So I always kind of gravitate to video, video uh, visual, uh, moving pictures. So definitely for me would be video. And for me, I've used video a lot and has it, that has brought out more of my creativity. I looked into uh, cinematography. I looked into editing uh, video. So for me, I like it. So I gravitate more to video. That's really interesting, Alejandro, because video is my least liked way of learning. I mean, I love video for entertainment. I mean, I'll watch endless hours of, of entertainment. But if I'm actually interested in learning something or doing something, a video is just way too slow. I mean, I'm so, I don't know, ADHD, that spending two and a half minutes to watch a video to learn how to do something is just way too long. I'd rather read it and, and skim the text and get what I want. Look at pictures, sure, that helps. Uh, so in terms of learning, my, my medium is, uh, is reading. Uh, but my favorite tool, I don't know if I can think of anything else besides the, just the, the modern smartphone, just because it has everything. I quickly Google search stuff or Bing search or any other search engine you want. And uh, actually, I liked uh, the old days. What was it? Uh, uh, Ask Jeeves? Ask Jeeves. <laughs> I think he's still around. I think Ask Jeeves is still around in another format. But yeah, just uh, searching uh, and then quickly scanning and reading uh, stuff on different websites. My contacts are there. I've, I actually, I never could remember phone numbers, even in my youth back in the days when you were supposed to remember phone numbers. I never did. Uh, had to always write them down. So now it's, it's a blessing to have a, a phone book uh, on my cell phone that I don't have to ever know anyone's phone number ever again. Camera's right there. And pen, pencil and paper, I don't have a pencil sharpener. So uh, I, use, <laughs> I use digital notebooks. So on my phone... Uh, you know, I take all my notes on there, whether it's by hand or a text. And then because of the cloud-based systems, I have access to all my notes on my desktop too. So, I mean, it, my phone serves as that, you know, the, the computer that is everything. I mean, I can do everything on my phone nowadays. So, yeah, that's my favorite piece. I would hate to see you without your phone one day. Yeah, it freaks me out, man. And then you, Mark? <laughs> need, well, to, need to embed it into my head. Right, there you go. My technology, top of my list, would be anything that supports flexibility in online and blended learning. So let me explain that. I was an early adopter of Moodle, 
because and Moodle is, an, is a learning management system that's free and yeah. it's open source. And it has a, like, I know many educators who are not a big fan of right. Moodle right now because yeah. of uh, testing. Right, exactly. Well, here's the point. While I was even saying earlier that, you know, it's that human interaction that really helps when you're learning. What online learning systems do is they allow for a lot more flexibility. So you can have a class and support students that are not able to be in person all the time. Or you can have a class for participants that are spread across many different miles. And that, to me, is, is a great example of um, the purpose of why we why we teach and why we learn is to uh, get the get the word out and get more people involved. Cool. Thank you yeah. so much, guys. And speaking of getting the word out, if you've liked any of our episodes this season, please follow us, subscribe, write a review, leave a rating, let us know how we're doing. Fill out our bit.ly at bit.ly slash techlasso. Additionally, this is going to be the last episode for this current 2022-2023 school year. We're going to be taking a two-week break, and we're going to start back up July fifth i believe that's a wednesday and that'll be the start of the brand new season and i hope you guys have a great day enjoy your time be safe out there the itl coordinators thank you for listening to this episode of tech lasso if you like what you've heard subscribe to our podcast also follow us on social media the links are in the show notes thank you again and let us know how we are doing go to bit.ly slash tech lasso